How are we doing, church? We doing okay? Very good. I must admit, as I stand here this morning, I'm slightly fearful. Um, who was here on Christmas Day? Show of hands. Very good. On Christmas Day, there were presents that were given around the staff team, uh, which culminated in me being given a reindeer hat, which I then asked the gathered community, you lot, whether I should wear while I preached. And there was a groundswell of opinion that I should wear that hat. So as I stand here, I'm a little bit fearful about what you might agree that I ought to do uh, while I stand on the stage. But I'm going to press on and uh, hope that you're in a good mood and more favourably deposed towards me this morning. Um, As Helen said, we are going to continue our series that uh, we started in September, uh, went through until Advent, took a pause, and now we're starting again in uh, this, the new year. And that's around family values. And uh, this is uh, not just what we do in our own homes, but this is about our communities and the values that as a church family that we believe that, that God is calling us to and is part of what it means to follow Jesus as his disciples, as his apprentices, as people that are seeking to become just like him. And so uh, over the course of uh, a quick recap of uh, what we did in the autumn, and we looked at establishing embassies of hope. That's church planting, yes, but also households of faith and the presence of God all over the city. We looked at hospitality. We looked at functioning as a family. Uh, We looked at being humble, cultivating healthy relationships. And then we looked at worship being right at the heart of who we are as family, as we gather, not only here at church on a Sunday, but in our homes during the week. So today what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at breaking bread, why we break bread. And we're looking at the original context for that and what uh, a passage in 1 Corinthians 11 can teach us about the way that we use our homes, the way that we break bread together and what that means for us today. So first up, uh, before we get into that, I'm going to read the passage from scripture that should appear on the screen behind me. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 17 through 34. In the following directives, this is Paul writing to a church in uh, in Corinth. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, you may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. This is the word of the Lord. That sounded quite critical, didn't it, really? It did. And this is Paul talking to uh, the church in Corinth, and he is seeking to bring some correction. Uh, We're not going to go down the judgment route this morning, um, but we are going to look at why we break bread and what we can learn from this passage. But before we do that, I would love to ask a question of my own. The gospel that we proclaim, the Lord that we celebrate, can he, can this gospel change the world? Utter silence. If anybody would like to answer that question. Yes? Yes. Very good. Can this gospel change the lives of the people on your streets, in your workplaces, in your homes? Is there power in this gospel for change? Yes, there is. But in a world and a society where it is becoming increasingly hostile to the values and the practices of Christians, where I know children in school that won't share their Christian values because they know that if they do, that they will be ostracized and that will have dire consequences for them. How does the gospel that we proclaim change the world? That's part of what I want to look at this morning. And uh, I think that as I've been looking and reading and thinking around this passage, I was really reminded that the context that Jesus lived and died, where the early church took root and grew, it was a culture within a culture that was very hostile. Uh, persecuted the local church, where the values of the of the culture in which it, uh, in which he lived um, was very very different from uh, the Jewish culture that Jesus adhered to, but also the culture that uh, of the church that he then instigated. The Roman culture um, around at the time had a pantheon of gods. It was an incredibly sexualized culture where prostitutes weren't something that was illegal and behind closed doors, but was actually part of temple worship to the gods around them. It's where after the supper, that where we've had uh, all the family together in the courtyard, the women and the children would be ushered out so that the slaves would come and would perform and uh, would uh, perform favours for those men that were gathered while they drank. It was an incredibly sexualized culture. It was also an incredibly segregated culture. Rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, Roman citizens and the rest. It was an incredibly um, diverse and yet segregated society. And let's face it, women were around. They were mothers. 
They were wives, but they were also property and were looked down upon outside of the church community. But it was into that culture that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that the Spirit was poured out. And then it was in the context of the homes where faith took root and over the course of the next 250 years, shaped and changed and transformed the culture in which it was first birthed. And it is looking at that culture and that context of living and expressing our faith within the home that we want to turn to now. Because I want to remind us that when Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper, it wasn't in a church building. It was in the upper room in a large home where he gathered with his friends to celebrate the Passover meal. That great reminder, that great celebration when the Lord all of those years before had delivered the Israelite people out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. It was a meal. It was a celebration. And it says in the passage that we've just read and in the, in the Gospels, in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, where it talks about the Last Supper. It says that during the meal, Jesus took the bread and broke it. It wasn't the add-on at the end of the meal. It was right in the center of eating together and celebrating. Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. And then it says, after the supper, period of time between the two, after the supper, he again took the cup he said, do this in remembrance of me. It's in the context of a meal in a family home where faith was expressed. And furthermore, in this passage, we can see things like verse 33, and when you gather to eat, or verse 21, when you are eating together. And although this sounds a little bit more churchy, eating in an appropriate manner and taking good account of yourself before you eat, it is still in the context of sitting around the table and eating together with friends, with families, with colleagues, with people that, uh, that were beginning to circle around the community there. And I don't know about you, before Christmas, I mentioned that uh, for me, the best part of Christmas is Christmas lunch. Yeah, and I got a little show of hands and there was a lot of agreement. And then I realized this morning while I was uh, thinking over this that actually I'm not bad in the kitchen. I cook most of the meals at home. I could feast like that every day. I would be a lot larger than I am now, but I could cook for me in that way and sit and enjoy a Christmas meal every day of the year. The more I speak about this, the more I think that doesn't sound too bad. But it's not just the food, is it, at Christmas? There's something about gathering with friends and with family around the table, sharing and feasting and celebrating the giving of gifts and that just sense of fun uh, until you've eaten that little bit too much and then you'll have a little bit of a sleep in the afternoon. It's that gathering around the table that is really powerful. And I certainly know from my life and, uh, and friends and work colleagues and, uh, and people on the street, there is something about that level of relationship that you get to when you meet in a toddler group or you meet at school or you meet in the workplace. And you might even go, uh, go out for a drink after, uh, after work on a Friday and... Uh, and have some time together but the relationships only ever seem to get so deep 
And then there is something really quite powerful about inviting those people to come round and to eat with you or to be invited, where that relationship goes just that little bit deeper, where you're invited into somebody's home, where you see you know, their natural habitat, where they live and exist, the things that they surround themselves with. You're invited in deeper into that relationship. There's something quite profound And it is in that place of gathering around the table where the Lord's Supper was first eaten. And for the first 250 years of the early church, the early church family, it was within the family home, open to all, where that was expressed. And it was through that, through that first 250 years, in households like yours and mine, that changed the known world. So 1 Corinthians 11 is Paul's rebuke to the church uh, that we're beginning to go astray, and we'll look at that in a moment. But what are the four things that we can learn as we look at this passage? So the first thing I think that if we look at verse 18, it says this, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. The church, the family of God is a place of unity and of oneness. It's a place where you know that the people that you are in that place with, where you're eating together, that they have got your back, that they are for you, that they love you, that they will go over and above to see you flourish and become all that it is that you are being led into by the Lord Jesus Christ. There is something powerful about the Christian community that comes together, that seeks to deal with divisions, that there's an openness and honesty, that when there are disagreements, that you know just as Jesus taught us, that rather than grumbling and talking to everybody else, that the Lord taught in Matthew 18 that you would go and have a conversation and deal with those issues so that that unity and that oneness would remain, not only remain, but strengthen over the course of time. It's where forgiveness and repentance would be given and received. It's a place of, uh, of that sense of family and togetherness, brotherhood, brothers and sisters together. And it would also be a place where encouragement and challenge would be at the heartbeat of eating together around the table. So if the first thing is unity, let's look at verse 21 and and look a little bit of context. Verse 21 says this, For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as we read through this passage, the main charge that Paul is bringing against the church in Corinth is that there is, in this segregated society, which isn't supposed to be reflected in the church, there is this growing sense of us and them, the rich and the poor, those on the inside and those that are just that little bit more on the outside. Because it was the rich, it was those that had food that were beginning to pull away and have their private suppers and celebrations in a place where those that were poor and in the lower parts, uh, lower rungs, tiers of society, it might be the only place where they got a decent meal during their day, their week, their month. And yet these uh, richer Christians, probably the, the homeowners, were beginning to eat before others arrived. 
They would eat around the table, they would eat, they would have their fill, they would get drunk, and then the others might be brought in for their religious part of what was going on. So in the context of rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, male and female, Paul was reminding them that they are all one in Christ Jesus. And again, if you think of this in a really segregated society, how powerful was this witness of the power, the transforming power of Jesus Christ amongst them? And for us as humans, we have an inherent desire to belong. We are social creatures by design. And I can say that, although I know in a room full of people that there are introverts and there are extroverts, there are people that love company, and the thought of uh, having people around uh, into their homes is a great joy and a delight. And others who just actually think the pandemic was a blessing from the Lord, uh, because not speaking to people uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. But I know that we are designed and built to be social creatures because we are created, as it tells us at the start of Genesis, the design for us as humans was in the image of our God. And God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the triune God, is first and foremost community. And being created in his image, we are created into that community. We partake with, him by, uh, with them by the Holy Spirit. But we are also designed then to live out our faith in community. And a lot of what we see, a lot of the ills and a lot of the struggles in our society at the moment, whether that's mental health, whether that's loneliness epidemics, whether that's a struggle and a crisis in identity, can be traced to this isolation and individualistic society in which we live. We are designed we are designed to live and exist in community and to express our faith in community. And let's face it, if the Lord Jesus was teaching us as our discipleship walk to love God, we can perhaps do that on our own. But he also taught us to love our neighbours as ourselves. And we can't love our neighbours as ourselves if we are in splendid isolation. Try it. It really doesn't work. So if we've got unity and oneness, if we've got uh, that sense of equality and diversity amongst our community. The third thing that I want to look at from verse 24, where it says this, and when he had given thanks, he broke bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The third thing that I want to look at is remembrance. And of course, when we break bread together, we remember Jesus's body broken for you and for me. We remember his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins so that although once we were far off, we could now be drawn into the very presence of God through his Holy Spirit. Where once we were separated from him, now we are embraced by the Father and we can experience his love and his joy and his peace and his powerful presence in our here and now. Yes, we remember that. We celebrate that. But more than that, we also remember what it is that God has done in each of our lives. 
I don't know when the last time you shared your testimony was. I don't know whether that was a non-Christian sat on a train or whether that was uh, with a small group or friends or family. When was the last time that you shared your story of what God has done in your life? One of the great joys uh, of one of the parts of my job is to lead our internship year. There's a couple of interns, Beth, and who's uh, on backing vocals today, and Joel, um, both involved in the students and other things around the church. Um, one of the things that I insist that we do is we go away on retreat, and we pray a bit, and we worship a bit, but the one thing that I'm absolutely determined that we'll do is that we'll share our testimonies, our stories of faith, how God has got hold of our lives, and the transformation that he's brought And this time, like every other time that we've done this, it was an incredibly powerful, powerful thing. Share our stories. And even for me this time, on the back of a really tough year, the reminder to myself as I spoke out my testimony of all that God has done in my life, the way that he got hold of my attention, unworthy as I was, and drew me to himself, was an incredibly uplifting and faith-building thing. Around the table, the breaking of the bread in that place of celebration, reminding ourselves of all that God has done, but all then that God has done in each of our lives is an incredibly faith-building and life-transforming thing. You'll remember from Revelation that they overcame him, the enemy of God, through the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. It's an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing that we have. It's unity, it's diversity and equality, it's remembrance. It's also then finally this morning giving thanks. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. And so not only do we give thanks to God for all that he's done, not only do we share our stories and our testimonies of what God has done through our lives, but there's also that opportunity to share the stories and the thanksgiving of where God is living and active, powerfully present in the here and now, in our ordinary, everyday lives. And as I say, this is the context in which Jesus through the early church, the church family gathered in homes, changed and transformed the world. Friend of mine, would you like to come to church? Uh, I'm not sure about that. It's all a bit strange. Do you want to come around for a meal? Come around, we're having a bit of a celebration, a bit of a party. Do you want to come and join us? I'm a lot more open to that suggestion. It's a place where actually we're all together and there's this sense of unity and brother and sisterhood amongst us. Where there's that sense as you wander in that there's a sense of family and togetherness that you don't experience anywhere else. It's a time and a place where people are open to share their stories and their testimonies of faith. Of what God has done in their lives and what God is still doing today. It is a powerfully transformative thing that we have at our disposal. It's incredible. And as we come through to uh, look at what we, who we are here as a church and the family values, the church family values that we're looking to instill, 
you'll remember that Tom spoke last year before he went off about gathering around the table. You'll remember there being a, an empty chair at the table where guests and visitors would come and would experience hospitality. We've had clusters here at our church for many, many years. And over the course of this year, we are looking to begin to evolve and change and transform them. So as we talk about these family values, this is the bedrock. These are the values, the principles that we're seeking to pour out into our communities to begin to see change and transformation, to begin to see our communities once again become places where people will come, receive that welcome, hear something of faith, and have their lives turned upside down and transformed, as all of us, many of us here, have had. Can we get the band to come on out? That would be great. In a moment, we're going to sing again. Just a note, uh, we have taken communion this morning at the 9 a.m. We do that every week. Uh, we have broken bread together. We have shared uh, the cup. We've done that still in a COVID-minded way. Uh, there's a lot of uh, flu and other things around at the moment. And it is good and it is right to celebrate communion as we gather together. It is a great thing to come as a gathered church community to break bread to take the wine, to remember our sin and our brokenness before the Lord, to remember the covenant meal where we are united once again with him. But I'd also just love to remind us this morning that that wasn't where Jesus first took the bread and broke it. It's not the place where he first took the cup and shared it with his friends. And if it is only confined to this place, then it loses something of the power that it has to change and to transform the world. Let's stand together, shall we? And let's, as we just come into land and as uh, Sam tunes up and begins to play, let's just take a moment in the, in the presence of the Lord, shall we? Let's just still ourselves. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to stare to the heavens. Focus on the cross behind me. But let's just invite the Spirit to come once again into our midst. Let's allow him to take my words, take the words of Scripture this morning and just impress them on our hearts. What's the Lord saying to you this morning? Has faith grown cold? Has it been a long time since you've shared your testimony? Or it's been a long, hard winter, mild as it's been, where God is just asking you to remember his faithfulness as we sang earlier today. That he is the faithful one. Is it that the gospel that we pre preach and proclaim has in our hearts lost its power to transform the lives of those around us? We've given up. We've been silenced by the prevailing culture. It would angrily shout back that we're not as we should be and we don't think as we ought. Is it that a table through the pandemic that was once full has now become empty as it's been a struggle to open our homes again to those around us? 
Is it that there is just somebody that the Lord is laying on your heart? Maybe lonely at the moment. Maybe struggling. Maybe just that little bit more isolated than they were. That the Lord is laying his finger on you today and saying, just invite them for food. Invite them round. Share what God's doing in your life. Share what God's doing in your church. Just welcome them. Encourage them. Bless them. Maybe your small group has grown a little cold. It's become a little religious. We gather, we open the Bible, we pray. We don't expect much to happen, but we'll do it all again next week. The Lord's saying you were made for family. Why not cook? Why not bring and share? We've all got to eat. Why not kick off this new year with a new way and a new pattern and a new sense of family? So, Father, I pray that you would come and that you would move amongst us. That this church family, this wonderful, wonderful church family, would once again experience your love, your power, your presence in such a way, Lord, that our households, our communities become places of transformation. Not just for those in the church, in the family, in the club, but Father, a place where the foreigner, where the stranger, where those that have nothing, that those that have everything, Lord, would find a place. Not only find a place, Lord, but also find you. Only you can do this, Lord. Not by clever design, not by strength, not by organization, but Lord, by an experience of your presence and your love for us. Open our hearts, open our homes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.